Hey everyone, happy Sunday and happy holidays. It is December and we are winding down the year that was and still is 2022. I wanted to have this last episode be a uh, conversation with two of the best in the politics business. Two patriots, two men I've known a long time, uh, two men who worked in politics since they were young in their 20s. Uh, Mike Madrid in California was the political director out there for years, uh, uh, a Republican in a very blue state uh, for quite some time. And then, you know, one of the co-founders of the Lincoln Project. Then you have Michael Steele, who needs no introduction. We all know Michael from MSNBC. But before that, he was the first African-American chairman of the RNC, the first African-American lieutenant governor of Maryland. These guys know politics and they know the Republican Party. I thought it was important that we have a dialogue about where the Republican Party is because this isn't your grandfather's Republican Party and this isn't your father's Republican Party. This is a different type of Donald Trump MAGA-driven Republican Party that suffered really a humiliating defeat in the midterms that should have been historic wins for them uh, as is normally the case when a new president is in with his first two years. And so... That didn't happen. Newt Gingrich has an op-ed out talking about not underestimating Joe Biden and that Republicans should stop. Uh, Kevin McCarthy hasn't locked down the speakership yet. So we're going to get into all of that. And these guys are the best. And so uh, get whatever you're drinking this under your coffee, your tea, your smoothie, a glass of wine. Whenever you're listening, decorating the tree. This is a great primer on what happened to the GOP, where it is, and most importantly, where it's going. Let's buckle up. Let's do this. This is the last podcast of the year, by the way, so you won't hear from me again till the new season in 2023, but Merry Christmas, everyone. God bless you, and thank you for your support. I appreciate you immensely. This is your host, Sophia Nelson, and welcome to the One America podcast. We have a treat for you today. It is December. We are at the end of 2022, and boy, what a year in politics it has been. I wanted to have a special conversation with two men who are dear friends of mine, who are respected and admired in politics. They know their craft. They've been doing this a long time. My first guest is Mike Madrid. He is one of the co-founders of The Lincoln Project. Mike has been in politics and political life in California forever. And he knows and understands campaigns in a way that few people do because he focuses on data. And in particular, he's interested in Latino voting patterns and where we're seeing those head in this past election as well as those to come. My second guest is someone that you know well from television, uh, former Maryland Lieutenant Governor and a former RNC Chairman Michael Steele, who is a MSNBC contributor. You can see him all the time. And he also has his own consulting firm. Both of these gentlemen are good friends. Uh, I've learned a lot from them over the years. And uh, I couldn't think of two better people to have to tell us what's going on with the Republican Party. And I'm going to start with you first, Michael Steele. uh, And then to you, Mike. Give me your thoughts on what happened to the Republican Party circa 2022. I mean, this is not your grandfather's Republican Party. No, it hasn't been for a while. And I think the reality um, is that we find ourselves right now uh, more or less trying to 
figure out what happened. Well, what happened was is a slow uh, degradation in principles, values, and an increase in um, partisan rancor, um, you know, sort of recognizing the value of the grift uh, in, in the game. And, and really misunderstanding, I think misreading a lot of the cues uh, that were coming from the American people around the idea of, of diversity, uh, progress, cultural changes. And so what you're witnessing, I think, and have been witnessing for some time, is I, I love to just remind people, this space we're in is not a new space. We've been having this battle since the late 1950s. Um, the party, you know, had to, you know, beat back the John Birch Society, yet it, you know, 10 years later would embrace the, the Southern strategy of, of Richard Nixon, embrace the moral majority. So bringing evangelical conservatism into the mix of politics. Uh, and, and certainly, um, you know, rebelling, if you will, against the sort of big government republicanism of, of George Bush, 43, um, as he, you know, really brought home, you know, a different approach on issues like immigration and uh, the role of faith in politics and things like that um, into the mix. And all of that sort of crash landed in 2016 with Donald Trump, who, who gave permission uh, to that frustrated, angry, uh, base uh, to take it out on the leadership, to go after them in whatever way they thought um, best. And, and so we're seeing these storylines play out and what it means right now for the party is um, you're, you do not have a leadership that's prepared as they were in the 1950s to push back against white nationalism and racism. Um, you have a, a party leadership that has succumbed to the whims and wiles of um, a conservative, evangelical white nationalist um, majority within its, um, within its ranks uh, that are dictating the terms of engagement. And you'll see that play out in the upcoming um, uh, race for the speakership in the House. Mike Madrid. Yeah, look, I think Michael still laid this out really well, as he often does. Uh, the Republican Party nationally is in deep, deep trouble for a couple of reasons. There's, first and foremost, the ideological challenges. This is not your, not only not your grandfather's Republican Party, this is not your father's or mother's Republican mm. Party. This is no longer a party that is driven and animated by smaller government and free markets and a strong international presence around the world. It has been consumed by populism and isolationism and nationalism. It's really 180 degrees different from what it, it was just, just a decade or two ago. Um, it's also got a, an extraordinary problem demographically as it continues to count on winning elections by larger and larger margins of non-college educated rural white voters. Uh, it was a successful strategy in 2016. It proved an abject failure in 2018, 2020, and now 2022. And that math only gets harder every year. And it's got a personality problem in the, in the, in the you know, personification of Donald Trump, who set a new low in terms of rhetoric and tone and style. That seems to be what a lot of Republicans uh, in the base, base voters, or at least enough base voters want to see somebody who's willing to fight culture wars as opposed to fix problems. 
And so when you add up this, you know, unholy trinity of, of ideology and, and, and uh, demography and personality, you, you find the modern Republican Party continuing to lose elections, but stuck in its own way, in its own, you know, cul-de-sac, political cul-de-sac, because the, 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 a lot of the moderate voices have left. A lot of the voices of reason have left. A lot of the, the Republicans of color that could actually bridge into different communities have left or, or openly criticizing it. And as a result, it doubles down on, on its failures and it, 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 it takes on a certain type of martyrdom. Um, but the thing about martyrs is that they're dead. They end up dead. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Let me jump in here because you both raised two points that I think are important. First, I want to get your take on Mike Madrid. What I hear you saying is, is that the moderate voices have left. And I would agree all three of us being center right Republicans, right? Or former ones or never Trumpers or whatever we call ourselves now. But what happens to Liz Cheney? Liz Cheney's as conservative as you can get on her voting record. And yet, they took her out. How do you explain Liz Cheney? Well, there's a difference between conservatism and populism. And that's what I think a lot of people have failed to recognize. I think all three of us are, are, are still conservative in our philosophy of governance. Right. We, we can't hold a candle to the populism that has taken over the Republican Party because the Republican Party is not a conservative party anymore. Hmm. It, is, it is a party of, of populist nationalism. And it is driven in large part by these economic and demographic changes that candidly a lot of older white republicans are not comfortable with and and one of the things i always underestimated was how strong those that biology is we, we we've always talked about being a pluralistic america about the american idea that everybody can be an american if you just buy into that ideology and what we're finding out is that's that's really not true i mean a lot of a lot of americans a lot of us here on this call have, have known it's not been you know, entirely true, but I, I think we probably underestimated um, how, how not true that was for a wide swath of our party that literally built its foundations on that principle. There's a, the, the vast majority of Republicans today believe that America is not America unless it is a white Christian nation. That mm. is the antithesis of the American idea. And, and that's the struggle that we're in at this moment. America is becoming for the first time in its 250-year history, a non-white European majority country, and that scares a lot of people. And I don't want to suggest that that is all of what is happening in the Republican Party, but I will suggest it is most of what is happening in the Republican Party. So we're working our way through a social and demographic uh, bubble here, too, it's, and it's manifesting our, itself in, in our politics. It's not just a political problem. It's no, a that's true. And that, that's what we're dealing with today. Yeah, it's happening on college campuses. It's happening in corporations. It's happening everywhere. You're absolutely right. And Michael Steele, let me see if I can get you to answer my question a little more directly. And I asked what happened to Liz Cheney. And, and if you look at someone who was truly conservative, and, and Michael answered it by dealing with the populism. In other words, I think what I heard Madrid, Madrid say was, look, Sophia, it's not a conservative party and Liz Cheney's a conservative. It's a populist party. It's a Trump party, right? Okay. So what I'm doubling down though and saying is, how does someone with a voting record that looks like Liz Cheney's uh, and has Dick Cheney as her dad, you know, got to be one of the most 
stalwart and admired guys in terms of, you know, the last 30 years of the movement of republicanism, conservatism, et cetera. Uh, what happens when the Liz Cheney gets thrown out? Does that mean that the Marjorie Taylor Greens are what we have less or the Lauren Boeberts? I mean, what exactly are we saying here? Well, yeah, well, let, let, let's just be clear about what we're talking about. Liz Cheney is still a member of the Republican Party. Um, and Liz Cheney, like myself, um, refuses uh, to, to move from that perch at this moment. Now, yes, she lost her, her role in the, in the House leadership. She was some, some, uh, some, uh, you know, summarily dismissed by her state party um, apparatus, um, booted out of office by uh, right-wing zealots um, in, in, in Wyoming and lost her primary. But the, I think the, the way the question is answered is not what will Liz Cheney do, is what won't she do? Because she's a free agent. <laughs> she can do whatever the hell she wants to do. Um, mm -hmm. And that's my approach. I mean, I'm still a Republican because I know it pisses half of them off. <laughs> All because right, let me, you no, guys, let me, I love but you. Let me, but but no, just to round out the point, the point is it, the easiest thing for you to do for them is to leave. Right. That's what they, that's what they want you to do. Um, the reality of it is they don't get to make that choice for us. And so Liz will continue to advocate for the conservative policies through the, uh, via the conservative principles that she adheres to, just as I do, um, just as you know, Madrid and others do. Look, you know, Mike Madrid was the California political director, party political director back in the day. We've been, you know, we've been in that fight. He, the blue state of California, me, the blue state of Maryland. And yet we were able to advocate for our conservative values and principles, win some elections, change some hearts and minds, because we weren't anti-democratic. We weren't pro, you know, um, uh, right-wing, you know, zealotry and, and white nationalism. We drew very clear lines for the voters. That's what Liz Cheney has an opportunity to do and actually can serve along with Adam Kinzinger and Kinzinger and others as a new form of light for Republicans who feel dispossessed or frustrated uh, to gravitate towards, build that momentum. Look, I figure I'm here, I'm not going anywhere. That doesn't mean I won't be gone tomorrow, but for right now I'm standing ground as I think Liz Cheney will do um, in the fight, at least through 2024, to make the case that the individuals that are pushing themselves forward, starting with Donald Trump, probably uh, along with uh, the likes of, of Hawley and DeSantis, that's not the future of the party. And we'll see how voters, voters meaning Republicans, inside the party respond to that. Okay, so you've said a lot, both of you, and it, it opens up. Let's talk about the midterms now. Uh, if this were two months ago when we were talking, all the pollsters and all the analysts said it was going to be a red wave. Now, Florida lived up to that 100%, and we can talk about that, but there was no red wave. The Democrats had one of the best midterm elections they've ever had. 
probably in the last, what, 100 years, 50 years, something like that. I mean, Joe Biden seems to be underestimated again and again by these guys. And I guess what I would say to you both is what does the midterms tell us about what the real state of Republicanism is or populism or Trumpism or MAGAism? And, and, and Mike Madrid, I'd like you to go first uh, because I know you're always looking at the data and the numbers. What happened to the Republicans in the midterms and why did they struggle to have this red wave that everybody said was going to happen? It's a great question. And there's actually one data point that I think all of this circles back to and explains not just 2022, but if you look at it through this lens, uh, and I'm going to explain it in just a moment, it, it really explains going back to 1994, why we are seeing so many quote unquote, change elections. And that is this, the Republican Party heading into the midterms this cycle was viewed by a factor of eight points. In other words, 8.8% more Americans viewed the Republican Party as the extremist party over the Democrats. And mm. we happen to, we, we believe this mythology, the pundits believe this mythology that the, the party in power suffers losses simply because like it's a force of gravity. The, the reason why people you know, usually punish the party in power is because they're voting against the agenda of the party that is moving and has the capacity to move the ball down the field. So if you have control of the White House or if you have control of the Congress, usually what the voters are voting is for a check against that, a limitation, meaning there's no mandate at this time, nor has there been for decades on either party. People are concerned about the extremism, extremists in both parties pushing the ball down the field. What is unique about 2022 is this. This is the first time in three decades that the party out of power has been viewed as the extreme party. That's how bad it's gotten in the Republican Party. They don't have the ability to do anything. They didn't control the House. They didn't control the Senate. They aren't in control of the White House. But still Americans, by a large factor, a factor of eight percentage points, believe that the Republican Party is the party of extremism. That's why they were summarily rejected at the polls on, uh, on this past uh, you know, first Tuesday in November. And when voters are increasingly voting against things as opposed to for things, if you are the party that is viewed as the extreme party, you are going to suffer at the polls. And that's what a lot of the hand-wringing is really about in the party, the finger-pointing at Trump, the bad candidates that they selected, the, um, the, 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 the populist, nationalist, America first agenda, which, which was, was trounced at the polls uh, 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 earlier this month. That's what we're dealing with. It's a rejection of extremism. And as long as the party continues down this path, whether it holds a slim majority in the House, or whether it holds the White House, or whether it's out of power, if it is viewed as the extremist party, it's going to continue to suffer politically. And that's why we have seen uh, this third consecutive loss for Republicans, the 18 cycle, the 20 cycle, the 22 cycle. I would even suggest 2016 was a loss, because even though Donald Trump won, he lost the popular vote by the largest majority in American history at that time. So this has never been a winning combination for the Republicans. They, they made their bed. A lot of us, the three of us have warned all of them. It's all coming to fruition now. And now there's this, what, you know, what happened, right? Like, how, why didn't anybody tell us this was a bad idea suddenly, right? When the, for the past six years, the Never Trump groups were saying for years, this ends very, very badly for you. And now what's happening is it's ending very, very badly. 
So, Michael Steele, let me ask you, I want to discuss three names. I'm going to throw three names at you, and I want you to kind of quickly tell me what you think of each one of these Republicans. Herschel Walker in Georgia, somebody help me understand right. that in terms of the, the what's, what, what was the Republican Party thinking and how is that turning out? The second name is Glenn Youngkin, my governor here in Virginia. And then, of course, the third name is Ron DeSantis. And I bring up those three uh, intentionally because when I look at 2024, certainly not Herschel Walker and that, but Yunkin and DeSantis, who I think we all know have interest in running for president. And of course, Yunkin winning here in the Commonwealth of Virginia in 21 on a very uh, nuanced yet very vocal uh, CRT, you know, uh, transgender bathroom roles, uh, pronouns, uh, the culture wars in Virginia, huge in the education, and it propelled Yunk into victory. And then, you know, you look at Ron DeSantis, who has just frankly been off the chain in Florida with stuff he's doing. I mean, I have to laugh because it's so wild. I don't even know how to put my arms around it. And, and then you look at Herschel Walker, who can't even complete sentences and who is saying things like this erection instead of this election. And, and Republicans will not condemn it. They won't back away from it. They, they're all in with these guys. Can you help me understand what the hell's going on? I mean, I think if you take the three in total, you would say... Uh, you got you got the range of what the party is in Herschel mm -hmm. Walker, what they think they are um, in Glenn Youngkin, and what they want to be in, in Governor DeSantis. Interesting. And and the what they let's start with what they want to be. What they want to be is a cleaned up version of Donald Trump. Mm -hmm. They think that comes without that that comes without uh, consequences and accountability, that you can take on corporate America once um, great partners with the GOP and, and just crap all over them. You can tell teachers they cannot teach black history because black history is what white people say it is. Um, you've got, mm -hmm. you've got um, uh, you know, books being burned um, people who are raising trans uh, children uh, or who have trans members of their family uh, being ostracized, and that's okay. So that's, that's the future they want. Mm -hmm. Where they are is, where, where, they, where they think they are um, is, um, you know, with someone like Youngkin, who can sort of slip by, you know, slip the surly bonds of scrutiny uh, and um, and 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 defy the the tightrope um, and walk this very fine line of of again playing uh, citizens against each other, regions and communities against each other, urban centers from suburban centers, um, and and still sound uh, like you know Mr. Rogers in his sweater vest. Mm -hmm. uh, and but who they are is Herschel Walker. Inarticulate, <laughs> I love it. Inarticulate, incompetent politically, should never be anywhere near a ballot box um, and will be summarily rejected by the American people. 
I agree. I agree. Okay, so just two last questions and then we're going to wrap it because I like to keep these tight. Mike Madrid, I want to go to you first. Um, the question I want to know is where are Latino voters um, in 2022 and where do you see them going in 2024? I think that they are the pivotal vote to get, uh, used to be the black vote, but that vote is squarely Democratic at this time. And I think the Republicans are going to continue to struggle uh, for all the reasons Michael and you have talked about. But talk to me about our, our Latino brothers and sisters. Where, where are they voting and why? Um, because there seems to be, we had uh, a candidate here, Vega, who was very uh, conservative. She narrowly lost uh, her election for Congress here to Abigail Spanberger, who was incumbent and pulled it out. But, uh, you know, there are a lot of conservative uh uh, Latino candidates, particularly in, in the Southwest and, and in other places that are Republican and uh, the Democrats seem to be kind of maybe losing their grip. So what, what do you think about that? Yeah, like this is an issue that, that Michael and I and yourself, we've been talking about in various ways for, for a few decades now, just trying to get the party to acknowledge that, that the world is changing. Uh, the Hispanic vote is taking on, you know, an added importance just because mathematically it's starting to compound in places like Wisconsin and Michigan and you know North Carolina and beyond the California, Texas and Florida's of, of the country. So look, there, there was a noticeable discernible shift to the right in 2020, that's in, indisputable. Donald Trump got 37% of the Hispanic vote. And in 2022, this last midterms, it's also indisputable that that stability held. They did not, the Democrats did not do better. The Republicans did not do better. They stayed at the same rate of voting for Republicans as they did in 2020. That's a very significant development. And what it suggests is that there is a new floor of support with amongst Republicans for the Republican Party, amongst the Hispanics with, uh, for the Republican Party. If you had told me in 2016 that that number, that that base level of support would be at you know 37 percent, by 2020, I would have said that's probably not going to happen, but, but it has happened. And so the mm -hmm. question becomes why, and the answer really is quite simple, it's, it's demographic, is the fastest growing segment of the blue collar workforce are Hispanic workers, non-college educated workers in non-college mm -hmm. educated industries, energy, mining, farming, manufacturing, all of mm -hmm. these industries that are, you know, blue collar jobs are increasingly becoming Hispanic. And so they're beginning to vote like they're white, non-college educated colleagues, you know, uh, and, and, and we're also seeing that shift amongst African-American voters, incidentally. So right. it's just rising economic populism. The best way to look at this is Latinos, Latino voters today are what the Reagan Democrats were in the 1980s. These are blue collar, culturally conservative voters like the economic populism that the Republican Party espouses, the one difference is these are these voters, these Democrats that are voting Republican are they're brown, and the when and white voters have a problem with that, that mm. and that's why we don't call them Reagan Democrats. Remember when we were all young in the business, it was yeah. to win Democratic votes. We thought that was a good thing. Yeah. Now in today's Republican Party, you talk to Democrats and you're committing some sort of a crime. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's real. That's real. That's the best way to look at it is this is the new Reagan Democrat. And if the Democrats don't get their acts together, they're going to kind of continue to lose them. And Republicans, simply by doing what they do demographically, are going to be the beneficiaries 
of this demographic transformation that's happening, or we're going to start seeing this vote move towards closer parity. Wow. So that's a lot. And I agree with you. I think that uh, the Democrats are foolish if they don't begin to really court and hear and understand uh, the Latino voter. And like you said, in, in other places outside of, you know, New Mexico, Texas, Florida, in areas, Arizona, you know, uh, California, where you have larger populations, there are sizable populations in other places throughout the country. So you're right. And it's going to be interesting to see. What do you think about 24, Mike? What's your projection for Latino voters? Who are they voting for? Are they going Republican or Democrat in 24? Does that depend on who the nominees are? I think it'll depend on who the nominees are. I think people need to uh, clip this portion of what you just heard from Mike Madrid and put it on a loop. Um, because if you want the wisdom of understanding how the numbers can work for you or against you, he just gave it to you. Um, sure did. There's a lot tied up in demographics for sure. Uh, but at the end of the day, the core is understanding how the voters are moving in the marketplace of politics. Uh, both parties, by and large, still play the game the old way. Uh, social media has largely changed that just as the advent of the newspaper and the telephone uh, and television changed uh, the nation's course and politics uh, generations ago. And if you don't, the difference between then and now is those institutions were somehow embedded within the political structure. So, you know, pollsters would call you on your hard line on a, on a Thursday night and you sit there for 20 minutes and talk to them, right? Um, or, you know, you, you see something on television watching, you know, Uncle, Uncle Walter on, on the nightly news or, um, you know, whatever your program was or NBC News and get your news that way. And that would fashion and shape how you think. Um, that's no longer the way particularly younger voters are approaching politics. And uh, to Mike's point, Hispanic voters are going to be no different than white, black, or other voters out there. They're going to use the tools to their particular advantage. And if the parties aren't prepared to address that, if the candidates don't know how to tap into that conversation, um, one side or the other is going to benefit by default, by virtue of, you know, the lesser of two evils kind of game. Um, and that's just not how our politics should should play out. So Democrats need to start by dropping Latinx and all that BS, uh, because <laughs> that, that's a total misunderstanding of how, first off, the Hispanic community feels about that term, but mm -hmm. more importantly, just how diverse the, term, the, the community is. There's right. a difference between Venezuelans and Puerto Ricans, all right? Absolutely. Politically, socially, economically, you need to understand that. And, and, and certainly Republicans need to stop looking at the black vote um, as, oh, well, they, they go to church on Sunday, they must be conservative. <laughs> you know? So right. it's, it's just the way we dumb, our, the politics dumbs down the voter, um, yet and still the voter at the end of the day gets the last laugh because they get to vote. And, you know, we'll see what 24 looks like based on how well both sides understand what's happening around them and how much it has changed. Last question for you both. Um, but before I get to that one quick and I want a real quick answer to this, what do both of you think about the forward party and this the emergence of that and uh, 
isn't going anywhere. Mike Madrid first and then you, Michael Steele. I think it's a very tough road for the forward party to find relevance. I think it's interesting in that people are starting to push against the two-party system. That hasn't been very successful for the better part of 150 years. I'm not sure that this is the right way to do it, but I do believe we will see the end of the two-party system probably within our lifetimes. Uh, I would I would second that last point and, and, and herald the day that it occurs. Uh, yeah. I, I think We've been mired in this two-party system for way too long. Uh, I think we need to abolish our primary system, uh, yeah. do, you know, final five voting, anything to shake it up. Uh, yeah, rank choice. Party, yeah, rank choice. Forward party is 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 a concept that needs a lot of work. Um, yeah. and, and, and I don't know if folks really appreciate just the level of the amount of work that's going to be required because essentially they have to establish 50 individual state parties, mm -hmm. um, 50 individual parties per se. And, and mm -hmm. that's every rule, is, every state is different. The rules are different. The amount of money required to start, the obstacles are different. Um, and it requires a lot more homework than just going out and making an announcement. Yeah, I agree. So last question, and this is the question that I know everybody wants to know what you both think about, which is well, let's talk about Donald Trump for a moment. So we know that at the moment, as of December 2022, Donald Trump is being investigated by now a special counsel who's been appointed by the Department of Justice. I personally was hoping that DOJ handled this themselves and just indicted whether it was for the records or uh, January 6th or whatever it is, there's so many things. But the question I have is, with all the baggage Trump has, the losses in the midterms in 2022, sitting down with white supremacists and, 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 and a man who uh, denies that the Holocaust happened and, and hates Jewish people, do you guys, and then steal first and then Madrid, you get the final word, can, can the Republican Party nominate this guy? Is, does he really have a shot at this, or do you think it's going to be somebody else, Michael Steele? He always has a shot until someone takes it from him, and the only way they take it from him is if they stand up and call him out as for what he is, a fraud. He's not a Republican. He's not a conservative. He's a fraud. Um, and, and until the leadership of the party or a political candidate running for a higher office, or any office for that matter, <clears throat> decides uh, to take that on, Donald Trump will have sway. If you're not willing to pay, pay the price uh, to refocus the, the energy and the mindset of the base, which is what's gonna be required, but take the shot that's gonna come with trying to do that in the interim, then this is a lost cause. And you know, uh, Donald Trump will do what, what Donald Trump always does. And that, that is get away with it. Mike Madrid? Yeah. Yeah, look, Donald Trump can absolutely win the nomination. I think his chances are less likely now than they have been since probably late 2015. But what Michael uh, Steele is saying are words that everybody needs to listen to, and that is this. The Republican Party will never be able to articulate what it is for until it now makes clear what it is against. And it's going to have to speak out against Donald Trump and Trumpism it's going to have to clearly articulate a very different style and substance and tone and ideology and belief system. It's going to have to get back to what it was before this fever swamp took over. And it cannot do that by playing Donald Trump lights. It needs to articulate what it will not tolerate and what it will not stand for. It's going to have to speak out against this 
uh, scourge if it's ever going to overcome it. Well, folks, there it is. I mean, I think this has been an amazing dialogue. I could talk to these two guys forever and even better if we were somewhere sitting at a bar drinking, but that's another story for another day. Um, Mike and Michael, um, I want to thank you uh, just not for this podcast and this interview, but just for what you do in the world. Madrid, uh, I did watch the Showtime um, movie on the Lincoln Project, and that's another whole conversation for another day. But thank you uh, for your courage and for uh, standing up. And Michael Steele, my brother, I've known you forever. And you have really brought about a lot of changes in the Republican Party that all of us used to know and understand and I think have hope for. And I appreciate all that you've done. And I hope that a day comes again, as we all are getting up in years a little bit anyway. Yeah. And, um, you know, I hope a day comes that that we get back to the good work that that all of us have done over the years. Um, and just thank you both for for being in the fight and what you do. And uh, happy holidays to you both. Tell people how they can find you on social media, Mike Madrid, and then you, Michael Steele. First, let me reiterate that I'm so proud and honored to be working with you guys. I, I'm proud to call you friends. So thank you for Amen. all that you have done for this country. Uh, you can find me on Mastodon. I'm not going to say Twitter anymore. You can find me on Mastodon at Mike Madrid at C.IM. Okay. And uh, are you on Instagram, Facebook, all that other good stuff too? I'm not on Instagram, but you can find me on Facebook if that's where you want to track me down. I can be found. <laughs> Michael Steele. Uh, yeah, you can um, you can track me down uh, through my podcast, uh, the Michael Steele podcast. Uh, love it when you when you listen there. I've, I've had my friend Sophia on uh, uh -huh. before, and um, also on Twitter. Uh, I'm still there. Again, I'm one of these guys. I just like hanging around, just to tick people off. Um, and me too. So <laughs> at, at Michael Steele on Twitter, Instagram. It's uh, Chairman underscore Steele. Uh, so uh, check me out. Uh, love it when you do. And I just want to give a shout out to um, to my buddy, Mike Madrid, uh, whom I've known and been in the trenches with uh, for a number of years and really appreciate his leadership and enjoyed working with him over at the Lincoln Project and and to to my sister. Right. Um, <laughs> so you, you are you are something and someone special and really appreciate you and wish both of you a very, very happy holiday. Yes, um, same here. And Michael, I'm sure I'll see you because we're going to have stuff over at the house. Madrid, you're a little too far away in California. But um, <laughs> listen, guys, I will have you back again next year. I think we're going to have a ton to talk about, particularly as Virginia uh, goes into our off year elections. And as you both know, they're always a bellwether for what's going to come in the following presidential election. So it's going to get interesting. Thank you, folks. Thank you for listening and God bless. And we'll be back next year. Thank you. All right. Hope that went great. All right. Michael, send it to me however you can get it to me in an MP4 audio file so I can upload it, however it works. All right. Sounds good. All right, guys. Be good. Thank Thanks, you so guys. much. Great Take talking care. to you guys. Take care. All right. Okay, bye bye. bye. Uh, let's see. How does this work? I